0: a mosaic church who knows what this is this is an insurance policy because if I say something they don't like and they turn me down I've got my own battery-powered uh amplification device so I can just I can just keep on going that's not what this this is come on what is this it's a megaphone now, I don't know if this is actually true or not, but I feel like I have memories of seeing a picture of my mom. She was a, a cheerleader in college and she had a gigantic white, like, un, you, know, you know, with no mechanics megaphone because she would, be, she would be cheering in these football games. And if you've ever been to a football game, a college football game, those things are so loud. Incredibly loud, and she 's supposed to be one of the people that gets your attention, and so she obviously needed some sort of amplification. Uh, I know that we all have friends that have very loud voices i don 't have a very loud voice, so i 'm super thankful that we have technology and, and we have a way for people to hear my voice because it just wouldn 't happen normally. Uh, I know we all have a friend that has a really 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 loud voice and they need no amplification. But but it's just it's interesting to me to think about that idea in a football stadium where everything's really loud and there's one person that has a megaphone and somehow that volume can pierce through the rest of it and, and speak, right? And I was thinking about the, the, the way that we have megaphones and the different people that have megaphones in our life. Not simply like the actual volume of someone's voice, but the influence that that person has in our hearts and in our minds. Right, it begins right, as soon as we're out of the womb right? with, with, with our parents. They, they have a lot of influence over our lives. And then as you get older, if you have uh, uh, older siblings, uh, perhaps the oldest right? The hero of the family, like the, perhaps they had some influence over our, our lives. My, my, my oldest sister, she had a lot of influence over my life. I, I still remember she had a megaphone uh and then you know as you as you get a little bit older and you start going to school you have different uh teachers or different uh different coaches Uh, because of the way that they treat you because of their expertise because of their wisdom because of their humor because of a number of different reasons you give them a megaphone and they have the opportunity to really speak in ways that shape you and change you right they have a megaphone and then you become a teenager and you take the megaphone from all of those adults that have earned with their wisdom and experience and their love and their care and their compassion, you give it to your buddy because he's got cool shoes. And you're like, yeah, you, you, have, you have no resume that, that says that you should have this in my life, but here you go. Mom, give me that. Dad, give me that. Right here, here you, you speak into my life really loudly and you begin to shape my life. And I had a friend uh, who I, I did this with, uh, and he just, he could speak into my life and it shaped me dramatically. Now, the reason that I bring this up is because we're in the book of what? Jude, right? It's a letter that who wrote? Jude wrote, and he wrote it to a church and he had these incredible aspirations. He, he wanted to write about their common salvation, he was thinking about just the beauties of the gospel, thinking about what God has done, his character, his life, his actions, habits impacted. And he's like, I wanted to write about that. I've been dying to write about that. However, there was an issue. There was a problem and it was so urgent that I had to shelf my plans and I had to write about this. And this was, this was the reason. This was the reason that he changed his plans because this church had given a megaphone to false teachers. And they didn't know it. They had crept in unnoticed. They had snuck into their midst and they had a megaphone and they were influencing the church. They were bringing people along into their false understanding of the gospel. They were bringing people into their corruption. They were using people, they were manipulating people. And Jude said, I've got a right to get you to take this megaphone away from those teachers because they're influencing you and it is not good. It is leading to death and destruction rather than life and beauty and freedom. This is why Jude wrote this letter. And if you were with us last week, uh, you got to hear uh, Renaud uh, talk about these false teachers. And man, Jude just went after it, right? With all these different quotations from the Old Testament. And you just really let the false teachers have it. He's like, you're, you're waterless clouds, your reefs that are hidden, you're shepherds that are only feeding yourself. You know, you're these waves that are crashing and destroying. I mean, just gave it, just peppered. All of, you know, the, these false teachers, all of these teachings from the Old Testament to help everyone know no, you are in fact a false teacher. You are not proclaiming the gospel. You are not bringing life and freedom. And he was talking very powerfully against these false teachers. And I was thinking to myself, I was thinking, man, I'm so glad that this is not towards me, <laughs> right? I, I just, I felt like it was all this like like buckshot just came, you know, at, and I was like, I was like dodging it. I was like, wait, please, I'm not a false teacher, right? Uh, and so I thought, because you know, Halloween was this week, I thought it'd be funny if I' dressed up as a false teacher. But Renault wouldn't lend me his clothes, so I couldn't do it. Um, <laughs> oh boo! Actually, I say that because, since we are talking about false teachers, and these false teachers have snuck in, and I know that Renault would never talk about himself this way, I thought it was important that I did talk about Renault. And what just blows my mind is the beauty of what God has done. If you look at the letters that we've been in and they talk a lot about false teachers, whether it's 1 Timothy, 2 Peter, Titus, Jude, there's a lot of talking about false teachers and they're secretly sneaking into the midst of the church. We need to be aware. Do we have false teachers in our midst? And if not... We should honor those who God has called and put in positions of leadership. And what the, what Paul does, what Peter does, what Jude does, is they talk very little about the actual teaching that's going on, and much more about the character of the people, because they, in line with Jesus, their Lord and Savior, said, "You will know them by their fruit." And this is what has blown me away about Renault. I, I came here in 2010. And I remember, I, I, I pulled up. If you ever went to the Oakland building, especially before uh, the expansion, there you pull up and you are thinking, "I hope I am in the wrong place because this is terrifying." It was a scary place. And I remember, I walked in, uh, and, and I was, you know, we were worshiping, and then uh, the, the 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 teacher got up, and I was like, "This guy is incredible. This guy is so gifted." man, this, this might be a place that I would love uh, to be. And, uh, and I went up and introduced myself afterwards. He said, yeah, my name is Joel. Uh, and, and I was like, this guy's great. I love it. I, I thought Joel was the lead pastor Mosaic. And I thought, man, he's so gifted. Uh, man, I would love to be around this place. And then I began hearing about this guy named Renault, or as his family calls it, Renaud. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this, we've been pronouncing his name wrong the entire time. Uh, but you know, it's just, it's just the way that it is, but people talked a lot about him. He's so gifted. He's so talented. He's such a great teacher. I remember Joel telling me, he said, I first came when we were in the book of uh, Leviticus and it was incredible. And so we were like, man, we got to be here. We got to be here. And, and, and and it is incredible. The talent and the gifting that Renault has. In fact, I, I remember this, um, about a year into being here at Mosaic, uh, I was going on a trip with a few people. Renault was uh, going to, and we were going to stay in a hotel uh, overnight. And so, Amanda, who's just incredible, she was uh, putting together kind of the room assignments and stuff. So, she called me. She said, Hey, um, I have you rooming with Renault. Is, is that okay? And I said, I said, I, I said this outside. I was like, he, he puts his pants on one leg at a time. I'm like, so what? But then this thought hit me, and I'm not lying. This thought hit me. It was, What if he doesn't? Because, because up until that point, I had seen his gifting and his talent, and I wanted to be a gifted communicator. I wanted to learn uh, to be like Renault. I wanted to be able to teach in powerful and impactful ways. And I thought, because he is just a normal human who's worked hard and has been given gifts and talent and is trained, that I could get there, too. But then all of a sudden it hit me is, what if I find out he's not normal? What if I, he's not like me? And so I made her switch the room assignments and I didn't room with Renault because I didn't want to know. I didn't want to have my dreams dashed. Like true story, true story. I still to this day don't know if he puts his pants on one leg at a time. He may leap into them. I don't know. He may wiggle his nose or he may do this. I don't know. But somehow he gets his pants on. But I'm pretend in my mind is just like everyone else because then that gives me hope. But here's the thing about Renault is although he has incredible talent and gifting, it's his character that gets me. It's his fruit that reminds me that he is someone who is proclaiming the true gospel. Because Renault is not like these false teachers who are greedy for gain. He's one of the most generous people I know. He's not in it for himself. He cares nothing about the spotlight. He doesn't want his name and lights. He doesn't want his name to be higher than Jesus' name. And I love that. I love that about Renault. No, I feel so blessed to be at a church like this with men and women like that. I feel so honored to get to be here and to learn. Uh, you know, I, I, I think, I imagine one day is gonna stop taking me to school, but it is not today because I continue to go to meetings with him and I just see the character of Jesus just pouring out of him. And it's so incredible. As we look at false teachers and we think about who are we giving a megaphone to? Who are we giving a microphone to? Who are we allowing to have influence in our lives? To the best that I know, uh, Renault is one of those people that that we should be allowing God to speak through. I want you you grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Jude. It's basically at the end, maybe it's easier to go to the end, go to Revelation and then go left. Just a couple books. You'll get to Jude. It's very short. It's easy to miss. But in the book of Jude, we are in, uh, there's only one chapter, but we are in verse 14. Jude verse 14. We, we uh, put up uh, the slide of the, of the scriptures. Here's what it says. He says this. He says, it was also about these. Now, this is so important. I put a star right by these. This is hugely important. Remember, Jude has two groups of people that he's referring to. One group of people is the false teachers. And one group of people is the average, you know, person who's a part of the community, a person who likely has been deceived by these false teachers, someone who has given them a megaphone, but is not the false teacher. And it's so important that we remember who he's talking to at each point or who he's talking about in each point of the letter, because he speaks very differently to these two groups of people. And, and we need to know where do we find ourselves so we know how we need to listen to the message that Jesus is talking about. When he says these, who's he talking about right here? The false teachers, right? We're in the middle section. He's talking about the false teachers. He says, it was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam prophesied. Now, Enoch, the seventh from Adam He's the seventh son of Adam. If you look at the, the genealogies in uh, Genesis, uh, Enoch is the seventh from Adam. I think he's the great-grandfather, or the grandfather of Noah. He's, he's in the line somewhere. Noah's number 10. And he says, he prophesied saying, behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. This message is brought to you by ungodly. Uh, This is a very important word, but we need to stop for a second because because, uh, Judas is something that to our ears can sound a little bit odd. I don't know how well you know uh, the Old Testament, how well you know Genesis, uh, but if you know Genesis, and I'm guessing most of us here have memorized that genealogy from Adam to Noah. You just have, you know all of the names. You know what happens within that genealogy. Uh, Just so you know, not a lot of real estate is given to Enoch. We know that Enoch walked with God and then he was no more because God took him. That's about all we know about Enoch. That's all that's written. Uh, We find Enoch's name pops up in Chronicles. But other than that, there's nothing else in the Hebrew scriptures of the Old Testament that's written about Enoch. And so when Jude starts saying Enoch said all these things, we're like, wait a second, what? How, how do you know he said these things? Well, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. He's actually quoting from the book of first Enoch. And 1 Enoch was an extra biblical text. It was a text that was written uh, between the time of Malachi and Matthew, uh, likely around the time of the Maccabees. So likely, you know, mid second second century BC before Jesus was born. And it was one of these books um, like the Apocrypha, many other books that were written around that time that utilized the Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures and then began to say new things. And, and, and what we would say is these books are not in our Bible for a reason, right? They're not a part of the story that God wrote to be as one unified story, but they're not bad books, right? You might hear us quote, C.S. Lewis, right? You might hear us quote, G.K. Chesterton. You might hear us quote, uh, John Piper. You might hear us quote, a number of different people, right? And, and these people aren't necessarily, they're not bad people, They're followers of Jesus, people who love Jesus, people who have some sort of expertise or wisdom or brilliance or just a poignant way to say something. And so we'll we'll quote from them, right? These books were not bad books, these, these, these apocryphal books, but we just don't think that they were scripture, that they were intended to be a part of the Bible as this one unified story. And so when Jude quotes from first Enoch, like we shouldn't freak out. Like, it's okay that he's quoting from First Enoch. And really what's super interesting about the place where Jude quotes in First Enoch is he's quoting from a place where Enoch is actually quoting three other biblical sources. He's quoting from uh, Deuteronomy. Wait, what, is, what is he quoting from? Deuteronomy, Zechariah, and Isaiah. Deuteronomy, Zechariah, and Isaiah. Now, the book of First Enoch is basically about this uh, angelic rebellion that happens before the flood. And, and he talks all about it. it you know, It's super interesting. And who knows? Maybe it's all true. Maybe it's not. We don't know. We'll find out one day. But it's not scripture. That's so important that we understand it. it's not scripture, but it's not evil. Right? There are things that the book of First Enoch says that display the character of God like for instance right here where Jude quotes where the book of first Enoch is quoting three passages in the old testament and the idea that he's getting at is these false teachers they will be judged right this is going to happen God will judge and he says it here all everyone's going to be judged All of the ungodly are going to be judged for all of the ungodly things that they have done in their ungodliness in an ungodly way, right? It's all going to be judged. What we can think is sometimes, as David says often in the Psalms is, why do the wicked succeed? Why do the wicked have position? Why do they have power? Why do they have authority? Why do they have wealth? Why do the wicked succeed? And I'm guessing in our day and age, people might come to your mind. People who have power, people who have position, people who have authority in our world, in our culture, in our own country. And we think, how do these wicked people do well? And Jude's saying, hey, don't fret. God's gonna take care of it. God will take care of it. And this, is, this, this next part is so, interesting, it's so important, right? The word ungodly, basically it means, and there's three different forms of this word, but it means someone who is against God right? Someone who is not with God, someone who is against God. And this is huge because what the false teachers could think, or even what the people could think about the false teachers is, oh, they're just mistaken. They just don't know what they're talking about. They just accidentally, and, and Judas say, no, 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 they're ungodly. They are against God. They're against the ways of God. The gospel they are teaching is twisted. It's false and it is against God. They are against God. God. And I tell you what, you don't want to find yourself against God. Not a good thing. They are against God. They are ungodly, ungodly sinners. And then he says this. He says, these are grumblers, malcontents following their own sinful desires. They are loud boosters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. Now there's a common theme here. Jude is saying that these people are discontent. Right? They're grumblers. That means they complain. Meaning they're not content with their lot, so they talk about it. They're malcontents. Means they are discontent. And then he talks about their own sinful desires. And this word uh, sinful desires, it's a great longing, it's a craving. It's like there's this emptiness and you need to fill it. You need more. You need to take, you need to use, you need to abuse, right? It's another uh, word to to help bring out this picture of the discontent that these people are experiencing. And he says they they use favoritism to gain advantage. They're not content with their position. And so they're going to show favoritism, which I tell you what, doesn't it feel good when someone shows favoritism to you? Just so you know, when people are showing favoritism, that's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. And these people are using in particular to gain advantage for themselves. So while many people in the church context, in in the church Jude's writing to, they probably felt pretty good about themselves because they were the favorites. They were the ones that were looked at and, and pointed to and people, you know, the false teachers, they loved them. But Jude's saying, hey, Don't get excited about this. They're only using you to gain advantage. They're trying to climb on top of your shoulders so that they can be seen, so that they can have power, they can have a position, they can have authority. They are using you, they are abusing you. Now, this is huge. So, we talked about these, and Jude's talking about who? The false teachers. So we could take a passage like this and we say, okay, that's great. I understand this intellectually. That doesn't apply to me. I'm not a false teacher. So what do I do? I mean, it's great. Thanks, Jude. Appreciate it. It's amazing. So what? It's actually incredibly, incredibly brilliant what the spirit of God is doing through Jude. Because not only is he speaking about these false teachers, but he's giving us some insight into the path that leads in that direction. I was thinking about the stories in the uh, Old Testament and there is story after story that goes a little bit like this. There was this good, beautiful garden. God put these two humans in it, but there was another person in the garden. There was another being in the garden. And this being was discontent with his position. He was discontent with his beauty. He was discontent with his power. He was discontent with his position in relation to human beings. And so he snuck in, he crept in unnoticed and he deceived the woman to gain advantage. Sounds familiar, right? That's not the only story like that. In fact, I, I put a chart up and I just, I just selected one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight stories, eight, eight stories in the Hebrew scriptures. It's almost every generation in Genesis where this happens. You've got Cain, right? Right after Adam and Eve, he's discontent because God had just favored Abel. And God said, Cain, what, what's wrong? He said, there's the exaltation for you. But Cain wouldn't have it. So he kills his brother to gain advantage because he is discontent with what's going on with his position in relation to his brother. You've got the sons of God, right? These are the ones that Enoch prophesied about. They were discontent with their position. And so they tried to use and abuse humans to gain advantage. You've got Abraham. He was discontent with God's promise, right? God said, you're going to be a father. And he's like, yeah, God's not going to be able to make it, right? The timing's not going to happen. So then he and Sarah, they conspire to sexually abuse their Egyptian slave to get a kid by their own means because they don't trust God. They use someone to gain advantage. And what we see is over and over and over and over and over in the Hebrew scriptures, this story plays out that it begins with a seed of discontent in someone's heart and it grows into something awful, into something ungodly that produces death over and over and over. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul writes this, he says, Godliness with contentment is great gain in juxtaposition to the discontent that the enemy wants to stir in our hearts and our minds that leads to more and more ungodliness, which leads to death. Godliness with contentment is great gain. That contentment is something powerful in our hearts and minds that produces great godliness. Will you show us this chart I think this is a great, this next chart, it's a great way to visualize this. If, if, if I'm right here in the middle, how do I move towards death? And how do I move towards life? I think what Jude is showing us is what happened with the false teachers is it began with a seed of discontent. That discontent is what began to stir. It's what began to grow that led to them being against God, being utterly and completely against God, which the end is what Jude said. There's going to be judgment and it's not going to be good. But Paul says godliness with contentment, that this satisfaction with what God has done, what God has given who he has made us, who he is, his timing, his wisdom. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And, and men, when, let, me, let me just tell you, this is huge. This is huge. There's a passage in Psalm that I want to read that I think mirrors this passage in Jude. Psalm 37, one through seven. And it it says this, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Think about the people in the church that Jude's writing to, right? There's these evildoers and they can begin to think like, what's going on? And and David says, don't fret because of evildoers. In fact, don't even be envious of wrongdoers. They may have power. They may have position. They may have wealth. They may have status. They may have the things that you think you need. Don't be envious for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the garden herb, the green herb. Trust in the Lord. So don't be envious. Don't worry about that. Here's what you should do. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord and trust in him and he will act. He he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and he will bring forth your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. You cannot be still and wait patiently unless you are content. And we think about Adam and Eve in the garden as the enemy began to stir discontent in her heart. What if she had waited patiently for God? But there was discontent that began to grow. I want to be like God, which is so sad because they were already like God. They were already image bearers. But they just needed to wait on God for his wisdom and his timing. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil Devices. How do we do this? I think it comes back to this. Who has a megaphone in your life? Who has a direct line to your brain and to your heart? Who have you given influence to See, it's so important. There, there are two things that we see here in the psalm that we see in the other passages of scripture is, is one, is we need to turn down the volume of the enemy's voice. We need to take away his megaphone in our hearts and in, his, in our minds. And let me just tell you, this is what a megaphone looks like today. This is not good or bad but this is a megaphone. This is a megaphone. And let me tell you most of the apps that are on this thing are intentionally created to, to stir discontent in your heart and your mind. They're they use psychology, sociology, neuroscience to intentionally stir discontent in your heart And in your mind and the question that I want to ask is don't you think following Jesus is hard enough as it is why would you give a megaphone to the enemy why would you make it harder why would you turn up the volume for him why would you give him this and say speak louder speak louder it's not hard enough already but but this is what we do right Social media can be a good thing that can help you connect with other people, people that aren't around, right? You can share pictures and you can, you can have some great connections, but it can also be used by the enemy to remind you that you're not enough, to make you discontent with your body, with your face, make you discontent with your brilliance, make you discontent with your wealth, your provision, make you discontent with your gifts and your talents, make you discontent with all kinds of stuff, right? How often does social media stir up discontent? And, and I, I just, I just want to ask, like, is it not hard enough already? And this doesn't mean everyone has to get rid of social media, but I, I just would invite you to evaluate, where are you giving a megaphone to the enemy? And, and do you really want to do that? What about these apps on our phone that, that are like for purchasing things? Like there's, uh, there's this brand new one called uh, Amazon. <laughs> and while Amazon can be incredibly helpful, I love it because I can, I can like run out of shampoo and then that, the next day I can have it, Right? Because I, I forget, I, I don't have time to go to the store. Because my life is busy, I, I can just go on the app. I can, but 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 it's designed to stir up discontent because I don't just see the shampoo that I need. I see all these other things that you also need. Do you want to add these to your cart? Do you want to add, if you add this, it will give you this next level discount, right? You'll get a one, a half percent discount on something, right? Don't, don't you want that to add to your cart? I'm like, yeah, yes, I do. I need that. I don't have that. My life will be complete if I have that. I'll feel better about me if I have that, Right? Where are you handing a megaphone to the enemy? It starts with the seeds of discontent. And as those seeds grow, they grow up and they do damage, great damage to our hearts and our minds. And I tell you what, it's hard enough as it is. And I encourage all of us to just take some time and evaluate God where am I giving a megaphone to the enemy? And what would you have me do with that? And there's going to be some difficult decisions because there are things that that are both good and bad, right? A megaphone where maybe God uses it, a megaphone where maybe the enemy uses it. And, and, And you don't really know what to do. But how can we begin to turn down the volume that the enemy's voice has in our hearts and our minds? I often talk about the whispers he whispers these things. But man, sometimes we're like, what, what? You speak up a little bit louder. Here, here, use this. I think, why would we do, this? why would I make it harder? I tell you what, this, as I've been considering this over the last couple of weeks, it, it has been painful because I've realized that I have given the enemy space in my heart and my mind to stir up discontent in me. There are spaces where I would dis, uh, discontent. I didn't even know it. And so I've had to really evaluate and make some hard decisions. And really there's been some wrestle with some of the apps on my phone. There's been some wrestle. Amazon has been a wrestle. I got, so, got rid of social media a while, while ago, not because of this, because I was godly, because I couldn't handle it, it was just too much. But I think if I was still on it, I would have to evaluate like, do I need this? Is it helpful? Is it harming me? So that's the first thing is, how do we turn down the volume that the enemy has? But the second thing is this, and I love it, that Psalm says so well, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. This is huge. Yes, turn down the volume of the enemy, but how in the world do we turn up the volume of God's whisper? Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. When we take delight in God, God says, I want to give myself to you. Delighting in God opens us up to more of what he wants to give us. God desires to satisfy us with good things. God is a good loving father and he wants to satisfy the desires of our heart, the untwisted desires, the root desires that he has created within us. He wants to satisfy those. And as we take time to delight in God, he transforms our hearts and our minds and begins to protect us from the lies of the enemy that that, that maybe we can't drown out. So this is what we're going to do. We're just going to take some time and we are going to delight in God together. We're going to take some time. We're going to meditate on a passage of scripture and just allow God to do some transforming work so that we begin to treasure him more, to value him more, to hold him up more. And we're going to meditate on a passage from 1 Peter. 1 Peter Chapter one, verses three through nine. This is one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. I come back to this passage all the time. So I would just encourage you to just be, be comfortable, right? If, if you want to close your eyes, And allow the spirit of God to enliven your imagination as I read this scripture over us and and expand upon it and pray through it. You're welcome to do that. If you want to keep them open and read and make sure that I'm not, you know, just adding things that are false, that's fine too. But this is one of the ways that scripture tells us over and over to delight in God. To stir up delight in our hearts is by meditating on the scriptures. Blessed is the one who meditates day and night on the scriptures. He's like a tree planted firmly by streams of water, which yields fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. Psalm 1. So let's meditate. I'm going to pray to begin as heavenly father. Thank you for your spirit. We believe what Jesus said, that he will lead us to truth, that he will convict us of sin and righteousness, that he will comfort, that he will transform. And so we ask that you would speak your words to us and that you would do something powerful in our hearts and minds right now, that you would stir delight in you, that you would stir treasuring of you in our hearts and our minds. Awaken us to delight in you in the name of Jesus. Peter writes, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. <sighs> Just take that in. John says that we love. Because God first loved us. Every ounce of treasuring God begins with him delighting in us first. Every ounce of our delighting ourselves in the Lord begins with him delighting in us first. So just take a moment and, and let's just unpack that and allow yourself to feel God's delight in you. First of all, if you are in here, you are a creation of God. Blessed be that God, the creator of life, the sustainer of life, who is the father of our Lord Jesus, the anointed king. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you are a follower of Jesus, just know that you have been covered by the blood of Jesus and you are forgiven. As far as the east is from the west, so far your sins have been removed from you. That God's throne is a throne of grace for you, which you can approach with confidence. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, maybe this is the moment that you would realize that God desires to forgive you. God desires to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. God desires to adopt you into his family. Maybe this would be the moment that you say, I'm yours. The scripture says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. If you want to be a part of God's family eternally, just say, God, I'm in, I'm yours. I believe that Jesus died for me. And begin to feel the delight of the father for you. All of us in here have the opportunity to just realize that God loves us, that he's for us, that he didn't come to condemn, but instead he came to bring life that we might have it abundantly and that he was the one who paid the cost for that by his own blood. Just sit in the delight of God for you. He loves you. He calls you his own. God, thank you. Thank you that you were that kind of God that would give your own life for us. Thank you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy, not giving us what we deserved, but instead taking what we deserved and, and in taking that punishment on himself, he has caused us to be born again To a living hope. Not just as he died for us, but he he gave us the opportunity to have a living hope. A hope that is not dead or dying, but one that is growing, that is breathing a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And if that was not enough, to an inheritance. That all followers of Jesus have an inheritance waiting. It's imperishable. It's not gonna die. It's undefiled. It's pure. It's unfading. It will never diminish. We have an inheritance that Jesus has earned. Can you imagine the inheritance that the son of God giving his life for humanity has earned for himself? and that we can share in that, that is being kept for us, for you, for me. It's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power, you and me, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, as if what Jesus has done is not enough the salvation he brought about in the past through his life, death, and resurrection, but also the salvation that his spirit is working in us, making us more like Jesus, mature and complete, lacking nothing. But there is a future salvation that is awaiting us that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this, you rejoice. Can I get an amen? In this, you rejoice. What he's done, what he's doing, what he's gonna do. Though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And I know that many of us in here right now are grieved by various trials trials that we're experiencing, trials that perhaps our families are experiencing, trials of sickness and disease. Trials of mental illness. Trials of loss of money. Trials of broken relationships. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. But they are not meaningless. And they are not purposeless. Because they, in the hands of God, can do this so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What God is doing right now in and through your trials will result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. What God is doing right now in the midst of your trials will result, will end in praise and glory and honor. How could we not delight in a God like this? Though you have not seen him, you love him. I think about Peter spending three years with Jesus, embracing Jesus, listening to Jesus, seeing Jesus, and then thinking about these people he's writing to perhaps even us and saying how incredible that you love him though you have not seen him like I did. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Joy that God has for us who love him and believe in him though we have not seen him, will result in joy that we cannot even express, joy that is filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So blessed be that God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, we ask that you would use this to stir delight in our hearts and our minds. God, that you would use this to help us treasure you, that we would realize you are the pearl of great price, that you are the treasure that we're selling everything we have and counting it as nothing in view of the surpassing worth of knowing you. You are the treasure. You are enough, you are more than enough. God, would you help spur delight in you in our hearts and our minds? Produce gratitude in our hearts and our minds. Transform us into the image of Jesus. We need you. We need you, we need you, we need you. So we ask these things in the name of Jesus.